brought to you by Think Tank. She was one of the richest and most celebrated courtesans of her day, the reigning toast of the town with a string of fashionable and aristocratic lovers, including two dukes, an earl, a viscount and the Prince of Wales to her name. Welcome to episode three Welcome. of Stories of the Sisterhood, which is a podcast about unknown and interesting historical women. Fantastic. I'm Alicia Joy Davis. And I'm Holly Morgan Davis. Um, and, sorry, what were you going to say? I was going to say that there are no guests this That week. is exactly what I was also oh, going to say. So there are no guests, it's just us. Yes. Um, so if it's not as good, then, sorry, we have no one to blame but ourselves. Indeed. But I think it is going to be good. Who are we going to be talking about this week? So, the topic of this week's episode is Elizabeth Armistead, who was a courtesan in the 18th and 19th centuries, and the topic Mm. of the quote that I read at the beginning. That's a very good quote. So, uh, where did you first come across this lady? So, I uh, just came across her whilst reading online. And I can't remember the specific place, but Mm. I remember thinking, you know, the story's really interesting. It's quite an unusual one Mm. not one that I'd come across before and uh nice to do a little bit of digging into it and talk about it on the podcast yeah I guess it's kind of a bit different to previous episodes we've done because the end of her life is actually what we know most about it was quite ordinary it's the beginning and middle Mm -hmm. that's kind of a bit bit of a question mark whereas previous women we've talked about it was their deaths that were yeah the interesting point yeah it's true uh so I guess the lay a little bit of groundwork. So go for it. I said Elizabeth is a courtesan. What is a courtesan, Alicia? Yeah. So Do a tell. Courtesan is a prostitute with a wealthy or ex- a more exclusive sort of clientele. Mm. So. Commanded quite high amounts of money. Yes. For um, her company, her conversation, uh, favors, also sexual favors, but it's not just about. It's sex. not exclusive to the sex. They are more than just a prostitute. This is yes. a kind of different... I want to say different breed, but that's actually quite hor- Sounds not a very nice way of putting it. A no. different breed of woman? A, dif- a different variety. Different variety, that's better. That's better. So uh, in the kind of period that we're talking about, courtesans are this extremely fashionable, extremely sort mm. of luxurious kind of... Um, variety of woman. So um, Katie Hickman describes the sort of the world of the courtesan as being a, a world that's separate from mm. respectable society. The demi-monde. The demi-monde, she calls it, yes. And um, so it's something about this kind of gap between uh, the, the high-class fashion of courtesans and their strange social Mm. position that's really interesting yeah and it would be quite i mean if you were sort of a high class upper class aristocratic man or Mm. just a man a a gentleman that had aspirations to a higher station you would have 
kept. I, re- I don't like that expression of keeping mm, a woman, but you would have kept used, one of it? these yes. women, such women. And it was very in to be seen in their company as yeah. well. They set the fashion. They set the fashion. They didn't follow yeah. the fashion, they set the fashion. And uh, they, 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 command, they could get quite powerful. And mm. um, there is one story about one of the, such one courtesan I can't, I can't remember her name her nickname was Skittles but oh, I can't Catherine remember Walters. Catherine Walters and the ho- the stable where her horse was kept had to be kept was like a secret no yes. one could know that it was kept there because she was so sort of notorious and that was the kind of that was the effect that just her name the mm. association of her name would have yeah I found that pretty yeah bizarre she was a fashion and a trendsetter but also the uh Mm. stigma around courtesans meant that like respectable women especially weren't even supposed to know about yeah about this so yeah but they did but they just had to pretend pretend they didn't yeah pretend ignorance i guess in a way they could sort of be compared to kind of models and reality tv Mm. stars today in that people might say oh it's it's all about looks they don't really contribute anything that's just like Mm. selling an ideal that's not real but with courtesans on the other hand you could say actually it was more than about just looks because mm. a lot of them well some of them weren't considered to be to like classically beautiful, beautiful yeah. but they made people believe that they were beautiful yeah they could be alluring in other ways yeah and, and uh, you know they had to be intelligent and musical play instruments mm. yeah and we know that Elizabeth and Charles Fox who her uh, later husband her later husband uh, shared a lot of academic interests and they read together so um, she must have been a kind of a good conversationalist and yeah. intelligent woman. Interesting woman to be around. Indeed. So where does she come from? Do we know? Not really. So uh, the two uh, stories that are cited in um, Katie Hickman's Courtesans, which we've been using quite a lot of, is um, from Tete Tete. The uh, I don't speak French, you can probably tell. I like uh, the fact that we're using, like, we've already used way more French today than we have in the previous three episodes it's making us sound really sophisticated <laughs> we can only hope so uh, there are two competing stories about her origins one that she was taken under the wing of a hairdresser who um, taught her all manner of skills and then she moved on from him and then another that um, which is a bit more tragic that she was abandoned by her father and forced uh, mm. into prostitution uh, as to which of these it is we don't know um, but she started out her courtesanal career, yeah. a career as a courtesan in a sort of high-class brothel, yeah, as we think. Yeah. And these sorts of places were run kind of like a business. Mm. I remember, in again, in Hickman's book, she gives an account of one woman, I guess you'd call her like a madam. Isn't that what they yes, called the, the, madam, the women that sort yeah. of run these places? Who had recruited a girl that was 12 years old. Wow. To sort of train them up. Okay. So, uh, yeah, it wasn't... um, You had to sort of work your way up, I suppose, and, like, learn the ropes. Mm. And uh, it was clearly not seen to be an easy skill to master. No, it takes a lot of... uh, took a lot of time and learning, Mm. I guess. And uh, Elizabeth had quite a few um, high-class patrons before she met her eventual husband which she would have met in brothels like these um earls dukes viscounts and the prince of wales that's the future george the fourth if you weren't familiar with this period 
who is not an especially popular figure. He's a dick. Among I mean, the, uh, we can, that's yeah. not controversial. He's we not can a say he's a dick. He's not a particularly pleasant figure. Um, so I guess we've mentioned Charles Fox a few times already, but we haven't given yeah. any uh, any background on him. Mm. On also, one other... Could I just mention one other thing before we move on? It's interesting that she... Basically, before she met Charles Fox who would later become her husband, she managed to get... She was actually financially independent. Mm-hmm. She had her own house. Um, and you can't say that for many... Many women, for many, many women of that time period. There wasn't many ways to legitimately yeah. have that. And, no, exactly. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, in a way, the idea of being a courtesan is so... seems so alien mm-hmm. to, our, to our lives now so yeah. kind of of a different era but then in another way their lives were more modern and similar to ours mm. than a lot of other women in that time because they had so much more freedom yeah and it's strange so that they're kind of modern and they seem modern and ancient yeah do you know what I mean yeah I know what you mean and it seems strange to imagine a world where female financial independence is so strange when you and I live separately from our parents yeah. as unmarried women yeah. like this becomes it's so normal now yeah. that's not even something to comment on yeah. I think I could you can sort of see why they chose to go down that route mm. is what I'm saying yeah I think I would rather have that than be shut up in a house all day having to like mm. sew and do you know what I mean <laughs> so life at these types of places uh, for Elizabeth everyday life the sort of duties she was expected to perform mm. the kind of places she went parties were certainly interesting mm. shall we say there's one description of a party at one of these sorts of brothels that men you know fashionable young men mm. would have been at probably like Charles Fox and uh, this is just a description of uh, of one part uh, a dozen well endowed athletic youths face 12 nymphs nymphs whose beauty could not be doubted, although their virginity might be suspect. Each youth presented his nymph with a dildo-shaped object about a foot long, wreathed in flowers. The couple would then copulate with great passion and considerable dexterity, since some of the Aretinian rites demanded a gymnastic suppleness, of which a certainty could never be achieved by most of the onlookers. All of this was accomplished by suitable music, until the spectators had lashed themselves in such a state of lasciviousness that they invaded the floor, clutched the nymphs, and tried to emulate the examples which had been shown. So, uh, yeah, that's the kind of uh, stuff that went down at these places. Mm. And Elizabeth, well, I say Elizabeth, this is the kind of thing that Elizabeth would have been doing. Um, The author of one of the books we've been using, Hickman, seems to say, she says that it's hard to imagine Elizabeth taking part in such Such revels. Revels, yeah. Um, And I'm not really, sometimes I feel like she does kind of, you can tell that she really likes the women that she's writing about and mm-hmm. so kind of maybe makes le- assumptions about their personalities that maybe... Yeah. Like, we don't really have any evidence that Elizabeth wouldn't have been there. Yeah, that's true. I think she's kind of making that assumption from what she's gathered about Elizabeth's character, which yeah. we'll discuss later in the episode. But then she doesn't have any actual no. sources on her not being at these kinds yeah. of parties. Well, anyway, this is, this is the kind of life... This is the kind of life that courtesans such as Elizabeth would have led yeah and, least, yeah. yeah that's a kind of something that went on and then after she, Elizabeth has um, been through earls viscounts dukes princes as her patrons she 
then get together with Charles Fox. Yes. So Charles Fox was a um, really prominent uh, politician of the day. Got a quote about him from his official biography on .gov.uk, which says... Fox was a gambling addict, womanizer, debtor, and dandy who was forgiven his failings by many because of his defense of civil liberty and his overwhelming charisma. So he was very much a big name of the day. Had quite a magnetic personality, yeah. it seems. Good impression this guy he, was larger yeah, than life. Yeah, he had, um, you know, you meet those people, they've got it. You don't know what it is, but they have it. Yes, this unknown quality yeah. that like draws people to you. Charm, yeah. I suppose. Yeah, that's probably the word for it. And th- he and Elizabeth had known each other for quite a while before mm. they became involved and fell in love. Yeah, because he was a friend of the Prince of Wales. Yeah, so they would have been. So they of... would have been in each other's company, probably maybe at um, such parties, I mean, as we previously maybe. described. And yeah, they had a very loving considerate relationship it seems yeah from the um from charles's love letters you definitely get the impression that he absolutely adored her Mm. and that she felt the same way they um lived together in st anne's hill and uh which is kind of the property they had and um they were very happy yeah and that had a sort of a quite a quiet life which seems a little bit weird Mm. Yeah, it seems... Considering they'd both been sort of larger than life and then they just retired to garden and read together. Yeah, I really... You know, I like it. <laughs> I really like the thought of that where it's just like they decide mm. together that, that that is what they want. Yeah. And uh, previously, Elizabeth's relationship or with her patrons had lasted a few months, but this one lasted for the rest... Well, for the rest of Charles's life, the rest mm-hmm. of their lives... And, um, you know, it wasn't, I guess, relationships between courtesans and the patrons were, one of them wanted to rise in society, Mm -hmm. you know, one of them wanted to increase their position or to look fashionable, um, but they seemed to see each other as equals. Yeah. So it wasn't really about that. There didn't seem to, there doesn't seem to be any sign of that. Yeah. It seems to be a kind of a, a very much a love match. And uh, so they start off as um, as lovers, and then they get married in secret, mm. um, and they choose not to reveal their wedding for seven years, I think. And then they um, sort of. Mm. But she did get cold feet a couple of times. That's worth mentioning. Yes, uh, there's an incident where um, uh, Charles gives a lock of his hair mm. to a young woman, and Elizabeth, which in those times was basically like cheating. I mean, it was a pretty, like, it was a, it was a, a bold kind of move. declaration of, uh, of some intent there. And um, Elizabeth sort of, we don't have her words, but there's a letter from him that indicates that she's tried to, to back out and mm. break things off. And he convinces her not to. Um, and I get the impression that... I don't that, get why he did it, though. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I think... Clearly upset her. Hmm, I don't think he quite realised how much it would upset her don't know maybe it's a bit clueless mm. um and she kind of takes a step back and he assures her mm. of his affection and they sort of continue on because mm. you get the impression that she her feelings didn't change she kind of wanted to step out of the way mm. um yeah it's worth saying like their lives at this point elizabeth wouldn't um whilst they were very happy together she wouldn't have been able to 
spend time with any fem fashionable female company. Like the wives of Fox's friends wouldn't have yeah. been able to, they, she wouldn't have been able to see them or spend time with them. Yeah, she very much would not have been welcome in yeah. their sort of respectable drawing rooms. And, um, yeah, they said that she was, she was kind of familiar only with his male friends mm. um, and not with his female friends or relatives or at least um, before their mm. kind of marriage. I about. think that must have been quite hard. I think maybe that's one, probably maybe one of the reasons she tried to, to back out was that even though she loved him, she felt that maybe she was making life difficult for him yeah. because of her past. And also, if, if Charles had made an arranged marriage, he could have angled for property or mm. money or land, like connections with mm. titled people. Um, and she didn't bring that because she didn't bring those family connections mm. that were sort of the... Yeah, the her past kind of followed ladder. her around. Yeah. Um, but they do get married. Yes. And we know that In later secret. on, the, some of the female members, members of his family sort of come round to her. Mm. Takes a while, though. It takes a while. But we do have um, a quote from, from Lady Holland, which was Charles's nephew's wife who was quite hostile to Elizabeth previously, mm. saying that um, she, that's Elizabeth, is always occupied in tending to his, that's Charles's, comforts, um, which very much seems like she, um, she recognises that Elizabeth is a sort of loving partner mm. to Charles and um, seems to have softened a bit to, towards her. But previously she didn't want to give her the time of day. No, she did not. And I think that also shows that Elizabeth when talking to her, basically just talked up Charles and basically told her, <laughs> said how amazing he was. That shows that she was probably quite tactful, I think. Yeah. That's, she was like, that's my way in. That's how I can win around. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, she did uh, kind of change positions after she was married, after she became Mrs Fox. And we know that mm. um, she threw a very successful ball, which uh, respectable people, including respectable women, attended. So... Seems like she made this leap. Yeah. She moved from the demi-monde. And she was a big help to... Ch I mean, he was on the rise in Parliament mm. at this point. You know, his career... He... It wasn't a straight rise to the no. top to becoming Foreign Secretary, but he was becoming more and more important. And she was a big help to him at this time, you know, when things were getting really stressful in London. And yeah. I think the fact that he could return to her... Yeah. And we have a letter from him, like in which he sort of recounts that day's voting numbers. Mm. So he clearly, um, you know, kind of kept her abreast of what yeah. he was doing. I mean, she, she was interested. What she, what she said and what she thought. It's just kind of funny to imagine this woman who used to be basically a prostitute now sort of running in the same circles as politicians and, you know, mm. throwing fashionable balls. And they completely... And they seem to accept her by the end. Yeah. You get the impression that took a lot of time. Yeah. Because um, some... Before they were married, people would um, very much not want to associate with her. And there's, a, there's one quote from a trip that her and Charles took to Europe says um, that Charles taking Elizabeth to Europe with him was scandalous impropriety. Oh. That's quite damning, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it seems to have sort of... She seemed to have transitioned from mm. that to the sort of respectable world. See, yeah. I wouldn't have thought... 
previously I wouldn't have thought that would have been possible I just mm. thought oh you know these guys they would have had mistresses and stuff but they never you never really hear about them getting married mm. I just I don't know I just it doesn't seem like something that would happen no. but here we are so even after Elizabeth had made this successful transition and their lives seemed very happy together and he was on the rise in Parliament, um, Charles dies quite young. Yeah, he dies a long time before Elizabeth does. Yeah. Um, and the passage from Elizabeth's diary kind of discussing his death is yeah. very sad. She was clearly devastated. Uh, we've got a quote here that says... Um, he looked up at me with a sweet smile and said, I like this chair, Liz. Oh, Father of mercy, he's helped me to go on. Saturday morn, he seemed rather quieter. I think it was about 12 or 1 o'clock that he bid Lady H goodbye. He had hold of my hands, bid me kiss him, looked at me with a heavenly smile, said, I die happy, but I pity you. That's really sad. It's really sad. And again, you tend I tend to think of marriages uh, in fashionable circles in this period as being... Not purely arranged. Yeah, arranged, business-like, not that happy. Mm. But again, this, I guess, proves me wrong. Seems very loving, yeah. And she was clearly devastated by that. Yeah, and she lived for a long time afterwards, so he dies in 1806 and she died in 1842. Yeah, well, she had a good, in- she had a good innings, that's for sure. She was yeah. in her 90s. That's very, it's very impressive. So what are some of the problems with researching Elizabeth or women like her would you say? Um, one of the ones that sort of leapt out to me was that we only have like we have mainly Charles's letters mm. we don't have a lot of Elizabeth's letters no and we, I mean, we have some of her diaries but that's we don't have towards the end I mean there's large yeah. chunks of her life that are missing or told through the words of other people mm. and uh, it's hard to see how much of a reliable picture you can get yeah. from mainly love letters. Well, yeah, which kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about Hickman kind of making assumptions mm. maybe about her character. Although yeah, it's kind maybe. of hard to disagree with those assumptions, but I don't know whether that's because I'm just reading mm. her book. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and it's not just Hickman that kind of makes those assumptions. So we also, also read a bit of um, Stanley Ayling's biography of Charles Fox, The Life of Charles James Fox, and he attributes to a lot of the the changes that Foxes undergoes towards the end of his life, where mm. he sort of calms down a bit and becomes a more mature politician. He attributes them to the happiness of Fox's marriage, which certainly is a, um, you know... It a, might be that. Or it might just be comment. age, mellowing with age. Maybe. Or a positive comment on Elizabeth's influence. Yeah. So, yeah, it's hard to say about that one. Mm. But we do think she does a bit of kind of gap-filling. Yes. But, you know, maybe some, sometimes we don't really have a choice because mm. there is a lack of evidence. Gaps. So. so, yeah. Um, Elizabeth dies when she is 92, 91, 92. Yeah, in 1842, having um, had her good innings. Yeah. yeah. And she um, remains friends with a lot of Charles's political friends. Yeah, those that are still alive at that point. And yeah. she's definitely like... They clearly respect and admire her. So we've got a good quote here from the local newspaper, the Windsor and Eaton Express, about Elizabeth's funeral. Um, The ceremony was intended to be private, but persons of all classes were anxious to show their respect for one who has been so long and justly beloved 
and who by her urbanity, kindness and excessive benevolence has acquired the, the esteem of the inhabitants of the neighbourhood of her own residence, St Anne's Hill. Ah, oh, I mean, that's a pretty fitting tribute. That is a good tribute. I mean, it sounds like the obituary to sort of like a dowager, you know, mm. respectable lady. Well, I guess, and that's what she became. Yeah. A respectable lady. A long life. So, so, so yeah, she, you know, sorry, I was just going to sort of say it's pretty amazing. She started off as a prostitute, not just from humble beginnings, but from completely unknown beginnings. Yeah. No one knew her. And she ended up, you know, a lot of women in that situation would have ended up on the street. Mm. with addictions um, abused by their clients mm. or by husbands, madams. You know, even high-class courtesans weren't immune to things like that. Um, another courtesan of the era, Sophia Baddeley, um, ended up dying young of consumption, I think. Mm. Uh, and she was an addict. And another famous courtesan, Cora Pearl, ended up losing her fortune that she'd acquired. Um, so it's not always happy endings. No, but Elizabeth you know, from unknown beginnings, entered a happy, loving marriage with one of the most powerful, charismatic politicians of the day and became accepted and valued by people in both worlds. Yeah. The monde and the demi-monde, I suppose yes. you would say. It's a great story. And I think, in a way, what makes her story so interesting is that it did have a completely normal ending. Yeah. She, you know, she was happy. Ends just with a nice funeral. Yeah, and I like that. Yeah, so do I. <laughs> so this, do you have anything else you want to say? No, I was just going to say, this has been episode three of yeah. Stories of the Sisterhood. Yeah, we made it to the end. Hey, that seems like a natural place to end it. It does. So, uh, I mean, uh, what were we reading for this episode? Uh, Katie Hickman's book, Courtesans, was a big help. Yes, and uh, Stanley Ayling's Fox, The Life of Charles James Fox. And also a few other sources, but we'll put all those in the description of the episode. Great. And yeah, Harry Bly was the editor for this episode, as always. Yes, you should listen to his podcast, Think Tank. Yeah. It's good stuff. I listened to the most recent episode today, and can I just say, I actually cried. Did you cry? There was wow. not just welling up, like a tear went down my face. That's a pretty powerful endorsement. It was, Check, out it. Check it out, guys. Yeah, it was so sad, but beautiful. Mm. Um, yeah, anyway, uh, the music was composed by Lizzie Grace Watson, and we'll link to her Twitter in the description. The logo was designed by Annie Clough Hillman, who's an artist mm -hmm. and illustrator, and we'll link to her website in the description as well. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at HMDavis95. And I'm at... Um, something. Leisha JD, I think? Yeah, it's like Leisha underscore... Yes. But it's not Certainly. that interesting. We'll put it in the description. Put it in the description. And you can also follow the podcast at Sisterhood Pod. Or no, Sisterhood underscore pod, I should say. Yes. And we've got an email if you want to send suggestions or comments, which is storiesofthesisterhood at gmail.com. Yes, do please send us an email. Please do. We would like We'd to We'd love to know if ideas. people who aren't related to us are listening. Yes. That's <laughs> fine. Okay, so see you in episode four. See you in episode four. Bye for now. Stories of the Sisterhood was presented by Holly Morgan Davis and Alicia Joy Davis. It was produced by Harry Bly, with music by Elizabeth Grace Watson.
This series is proud to be part of the Think Tank family. Find out more about this and other original shows at our new website, thinktank.fm.